Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. So thankful for you all and your faithfulness. It's unbelievable. We really thought that 22,000 hours of serving was going to be a significant challenge and over 29,000 hours and just all of the things that we've been able to celebrate and experience this year. It's just incredible. And we're so excited for all that God is going to do in 2023 as we start this new year. So happy new year to everyone. Uh, How many of you all made it to midnight? My raise of hands. Okay. Yeah. I did not, so I would have to not have my hand raised. I was snoozing through uh, the new year, but do just want to thank you all for being here as we start off our new year and choosing to worship Christ and to gather here with his people for the beginning of 2023. We are going to continue this morning in our sermon series, The Fullness of Time, and we've been looking at the life of Abraham Uh, for the past several weeks. And so we're going to continue to do that this morning. We're in Genesis 22, beginning in verse 15. I would ask if you would stand with me in honor of reading God's word. And also always want to invite you to join along in reading the passage with me. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing And have not withheld your only son. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Because you have obeyed my command. Abraham went back to his young men and they got up. And went together to Beersheba, and Abraham settled in Beersheba. Now after these things, Abraham was told, Milcah also has borne sons to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, his brother Buz, Kimuel, the father of Aram, Kesed, Hazo, Pildash, Didlap, and Bethuel. And Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore Teba, Gahem, Tahash, and Maka. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You guys kind of faded on me a little bit there during those names, so <laughs> volume really decreased a little bit. You just got to, for the future, you just say it with confidence and people will trust that you know what you are, uh, are talking about. Well, we have been considering through the life of Abraham uh, this call for God to wait. And God had promised Abraham, then Abram and his wife Sarai, that he would give them offspring as numerous as what? As the stars, right? And it has taken a while and they are struggling with, okay, how long is it going to take? And we've looked at some of the struggles and, and uh, poor decisions that were made in the midst of all of that. And yet ultimately, over the past couple of weeks, we have seen God provide this promised son. And we looked on Christmas Eve at this 
this call that God gave Abraham to sacrifice this promise and this promised son, Isaac, that they had waited all of these years for. God now called for him to sacrifice and we saw Abraham's faithfulness and obedience to this call. And this morning, uh, we're going to see where all that leads and all of this, I'm going to suggest, shows us a, a, a significant picture of how we view time and what it is that God wants to do in time. Now, when we think about time, it, every year it blows my mind to think about the fact that the reason it's 2023 is because of the fact that it has been 2,023 years since Jesus, right? Like the whole world. I mean, you see these, these firework explosions all over the world at the stroke of midnight, and they are celebrating the fact that history, time, is, is based around the person of Jesus. Like places that completely reject officially the, the, the teachings of Christ and, and do not believe ultimately that the time itself is segmented into before Christ and after Christ. And, and that, it's just, it's just amazing to me. I mean, it just continues to, to overwhelm me at the fact that, that time literally, and I think biblically, that's so appropriate. Because in very, very much what we see through the scriptures is, is time very much is organized around and through Jesus. Uh, James K.A. Smith wrote in his book, How to Inhabit Time, that was very influential for this uh, series. We need to remember that at the heart of Christianity is not a teaching or a message or even a doctrine, but an event. And it is, that stands out from other religions and doctrines and kind of philosophies, is that what we believe very much is oriented around the birth of Christ, which we celebrated on Christmas, but then ultimately the death and the resurrection of Christ that led to the launching of the church and this, this body of Christ that was born. And we read about it in Acts and the spirit that continues to spread through the church across the world. Like we're here at the ends of the world. 2,000 years ago, this was the ends of the earth. And yet we're here singing the name of Jesus, proclaiming the name of Jesus. And God is working in history, in place, in time, through people. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of cheesy, but people have talked about his, history is his story. It's God working, right, in real places, in real time. And we continue to be part of that. And so what happens today in our lives and in the situations around us matters. This is, this is a continual part of what Jesus is doing through his church and how he is working in time and, and in space. And so as we consider this, I think it's important for us to, to understand what Jamie Smith says, how to inhabit time. How do we inhabit time? And how do we, because of the event that happened, because of the birth and then the death and the resurrection of Jesus, how do we relate rightly both to the past and to the future so that we can rightly inhabit time where we are in the present? So we're going to consider that this morning. First, I want to think about the past. Now, at the very beginning of this series, we looked at God coming to Abram. And if you remember, he was in this kind of pagan context and God spoke to him and called him out of the, the people where he lived. Verse one, we read in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your land, 
your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this is the first test. We talked about the fact that there were 10 tests through the life of Abraham that God gave him. He gave him 10 tests. And the first test was the test of whether or not he would sacrifice his past, his home, the reputation, the name that he had, the place where he had lived, the people who were surrounding him. And we think about how significant the, the people, the place around us is for our identity or the way that we, we connect so much who we are to where we are from and the, the people who are around us. And God called him to sacrifice that, to go out to a place that he didn't even know what it was going to be, to, to a, a place with people who he didn't know at the time and to trust that God would be able to provide. What's, what's interesting is Jesus, when he's calling his disciples, does he do this? Does he call people to leave family and to leave the comfort zones and the securities often that people have? He does, right? There is this, this call in different ways and this, this dependence that Abraham shows where he, he depends on God. He, he trusts God to lead him into a place that is disconnected in many ways from his past. And the decision that Abram made mattered. And I want us to, to really consider. Abram was responsible for making that decision. He had to decide to listen to God, to obey him, to leave what was behind. And so his decision to obey God in the past positively affected the present. It positively affected where the blessings that he experienced, the current reality that Abram was experiencing was, was impacted positively because of his decision. There was another decision that Abraham made the exact opposite, the decision not to trust God and not to obey God, to take matters into his own hands. And we find that in Genesis chapter 16. We read in verse three, so Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband. Abram is a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan 10 years. So this decision was to disobey God and this had massive implications. And we're going to see this. You see this through the scriptures that there is destruction, there's division, there's bitterness. Uh, and all of this really comes from the poor decision that Abraham made. His decision to disobey God, to not trust God, mattered. It had effects. Now, the question is, as we see the blessing that came from Abraham choosing to obey God, and the destruction and the pain that came from God choosing to disobey God, how was Abraham called to move forward, right? To, to continue forward. And, and how is it that, that he was able to, to continue to be aware of what God was calling him to do? And I think there's one way that this could have gone. There's a force that could have prevented Abraham from continuing to see what God was showing him and leading him. And, and that force is very uh, applicable to us today. We're all very familiar with this. And it is shame. How many of you all have experienced shame? 
Let's start with a New Year's resolution and, and commit to saying the truth, right? All of us. We all know this, that, that there is shame that we experience in our bodies, in our being, when we, we make decisions that, that we know are destructive, that we know are sinful in, in different ways. But what shame does when it continues to hang on to us is it cranks our necks backwards. Now, I have to make a confession now that we're on this New Year's resolution of telling the truth. I ran our van into my other car uh, over the brake, backed it up. Now, the reason is because the backup camera wasn't working, so it wasn't really my fault. <laughs> but I did it. And, and how many of you all have, have ever backed into another vehicle that's, okay, this is making me feel better. I appreciate that. Misery loves company. Thank you. So, so when you're trying to move in a direction that you have no visibility, how does that go? Right? Poorly. And, and yet I think this is how shame affects us is it, it cranks our neck around backwards and then we're trying to walk forwards without, without being able to look in that direction. We're so, we're so focused and obsessed and consumed with what happened in the past that, that literally our heads cranked around backwards and we're trying to go forward. And, and, and that's not a healthy way to live. It's not, it's not something that's going to be conducive to, to good decisions in the present and, and the experiences that God has for us. And this is, this is a potential that, that we see the enemy use in, in different ways um, to, to keep us, again, from moving forward. Now, what we have to understand, shame is always oriented to the history, to past, and the opposite, and Jamie Smith writes about this, is grace. Because grace is always oriented towards the future. Like there's, there's this way in which shame orients us inevitably to the past and we're just so upset and, and we're filled with regret and, and all of this that keeps us anchored in the past. And yet grace, which is how God works, is, is always moving us in this different direction because grace is bigger than whatever we've done that causes us shame. Grace, God's grace is big enough to, to not just blow things up, but to redeem. So that word redeem, that God is able to take even these, these situations that, that are, are problematic in, in real ways. And God's able to actually take even those things and rework them. Abraham learned through this situation what it means that God is able to do what is humanly impossible. You see, he had chosen to trust in his own ability because he didn't think that God could keep his promise and give him a child through his wife, Sarah. God did that, right? And, and, and yet through this, Abraham come, came to know that in a real way. Abraham came to see that God's faithfulness to him was bigger than his lack of faithfulness to God. Abraham came to, to experience God through all of these situations in a way that God was able to, to use moving forward, to, to, to make him into the man that he was, to, to put him in the place where he was able to trust God in sacrificing his own son, right? And we're going to see this, but, but there's a way in which God's grace is big enough, it's strong enough to even take these things that we would not choose, these things that, that cause us 
uh, remorse in different ways and, and utilize them towards his purpose. And we're going to see that as we move forward. Uh, secondly, we're going to consider the future. Verse 16, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. And so the 10th test, the first test was Abraham sacrificing his what? His past, right? His home and everything. The 10th and final test was sacrificing what? His son, which was his future. All of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of these expectations, the promises that God had given, they all were dependent in one level from a human standpoint on who? On Isaac. So within this body that Abraham placed on top of the wood and binded, that was all of his hopes, all of his dreams, all of the the natural expectation for the future was there. And so this very much was, this 10th and final test, was a call that God was giving him to, to sacrifice his, his future from a, from a natural standpoint. And, and so the question that we have as we consider this, where do you actually put your hope for the future? You know how you can kind of get more clarity on where you're actually putting your hope is how do you feel about the future? In many ways, that reveals what it is that you're actually hoping in, <laughs> what your hope is actually in for the future. And Ecclesiastes deals with this, and it's this incredible, depressing, but remarkable book of the Bible. And it talks about everything under the what? Under the sun. Under the sun. And what that means, what we're seeing in that is reality except for God, reality apart from God. So everything that exists on this earth, under the sun, apart from God, and we find this, this very famous passage that is in, is in Ecclesiastes, and it's in chapter one, verse two, which says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Some of you all Maybe learn this as meaningless, meaningless. Um, and, and when we consider that, it's important to understand what it is that that word is. That, now, so the Hebrew, the Hebrew word that Ecclesiastes is using, we're going to learn Hebrew this morning, is habel. Can you guys say habel? Habel. All right, habel. That's, that's the word that's being used there. And in order to understand that word habel, does anyone know what that word actually, well, I mean, obviously it's translated vanity or meaningless. Any other ideas? Uh, Peter Lightheart uh, is, a, is a scholar who, who writes this. He says, he's not saying that everything is meaningless or pointless. And I, I think that's important. He's highlighting the elusiveness of the world, which slips through our fingers and escapes all our efforts to manage it. So there's this mist, there's this vaporous element. When it was minus whatever outside, uh, my boys and I went sledding. We have this tiny little hill kind of behind us. And so we went out there. My wife was not super excited about that. Uh, but we made it back. Nobody froze. Uh, so, but when we were out there and I was breathing, what was happening? Right? You see this vapor, you see your breath. 
right? And if I had tried to grab onto that and hold it, how would that have gone? I would not have been successful in that, right? We know that, that there's this vapor that, that it's, the point is you can't hold on to it. It's elusive. And, and this is what Lightheart is getting at. He's saying anything that's tied to the world, so another person, a possession, at the end of the day, what Ecclesiastes would tell us is, is it's vaporous. It doesn't last. It's temporary, right? Like some of the toys that your kids got for Christmas that didn't, any, that, any, any toys that haven't made it this far, like already gone. <laughs> we have a couple of those. So four-year-old boys are tough on toys. So the reality of this world is that it's temporary. The things of this world are temporary. And even the people, I think this is what scripture would lead us to see. There's a temporality. There's a vaporousness that, that we see through the scriptures that life is, is a vapor in this way. And so anything that you would cling to for your hope, right? So if your hope is in another person, a possession, or anything in this world, it, at the end of the day, it won't last. It doesn't last. And so if you put your hope in that, what are you opening yourself up to be? Hopeless, right? Exactly. You are putting yourself in a place of being vulnerable to being hopeless. And, and this is where we, we see that the importance of learning to understand what's made to be temporary, to enjoy, hear this, without clinging or clasping. So does Abraham rightly love his son? And is it, is it painful, this call that God gives? And, and ultimately we know he, he trusts in God's ability to resurrect, but... There's a reality to this that's understandable, that's human. And yet at the same time, from an ultimate standpoint, he cannot put his hope in this person or, or in uh, Isaac in this way. And, and so this is where he has to understand. He enjoys them without grasping or holding on to. And, and we read in verse 17, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. And the sand on the seashore. Who is it who's going to ultimately provide this future? Is it Isaac? Is it Abraham? It's God, right? And that's where his hope, and and for us, that's the only hope ultimately that will stand. Uh, from an ultimate standpoint. And, and so we put our hope at an ultimate level in God alone. He is the blesser. He is the provider. He is the one who gave. He gave them children when it was humanly impossible. And he will be the one ultimately who will bring about the promise through this son. Third and finally, I want us to consider the present. The present. Verse 18. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. Did it really matter that Abraham obeyed the command of God and willingly surrendered his son? It did, right? It really did. The decision that he made in space and time really mattered. And God reiterates all of his blessings, but there's this continuation that, that in many ways is contingent on the fact that Abraham chose to obey God. He made the decision in time, in a place, to do what God had called him to do. This was how he displayed his, his faith. And we're going to see the effects of this, the real-time effects of this. And it's fascinating what happens uh, in our 
passage, verse 20, because Abraham, hang with me here, finds out that back home, so the place that he left, the people he left back in Ur, his brother who lives back there, what, is, what does he find out that he's had? Children, and for the sake of time and my own, I'm not gonna go through all the names again, but he's had children, right? And this is God providing a blessing as he had promised. And the beginning of the blessing to the nations is going to start with the people on this list, right? And so now did those children exist before Abraham knew about them? They did, right? They did. So in the past, they had been born. And, and yet, from the story standpoint, from what the scriptures are leading us to see, did Abraham or us as readers know about them? No, we didn't. So in one sense, they started to exist when Abraham heard about them. Now in this list, there is a female's name. Does anyone know what that name is? Rebecca. Who is Rebecca? She will be Isaac's wife. And, and the, the scriptures are revealing this. This is going to be the one. The seed that God has promised is going to come through Isaac and Rebekah. Have they yet met? Is there anything, you know, in the story that's connecting them? Or, or, or no, they, but, but the story is showing us, the text is revealing that this is something. And when will that happen? When will they meet and be married and have a child? In the future. And so what's happening here, and there's a lot that's going on, but is that there is this convergence of time in this verse. That what has happened in the past is now becoming a present reality. Abraham's finding out about it. And for us, it's, it's becoming a reality. And it's foreshadowing what will happen in the future. And this is, this is the convergence. And this is something that's, that's so important for us to see. Because God is working in the present in a, in a way that both encompasses the past and the future. And Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, the present moment more resembles eternity than any other because in the present, the past and the future converge. And I want us to think about that. You are who you are in many ways because of your past. The experiences you've had, the people around you, the habits that you've developed, all of these things make you who you are. You cannot disconnect from your past. It affects you in many different ways in the present. And yet, there are also ways in which your, your future, let me ask you this, is your future completely determined by what you've experienced in your past? It's not, right? So it's not just saying, well, because of this in your past, this is where things have to go in the future. Does that make sense? Because what's the variable that's still out there? The present right now, right? And this is where there's so much here. The way that God works is that Kairos and Kronos, if you've been here for the series, we've talked about these they always overlap now in the present. Because right now, there is an opportunity 
for you to experience a, a, a change, for you to experience something that God has for you now. And this is this, this, is this convergence. There's, there's so much, another way to say it is the present is pregnant with potential. Right? The present is pregnant with potential because right now you have an opportunity to make decisions that really matter, that really affect your future and the future of the people around you in and, and all kinds of ways that you don't even, can, can't even comprehend at this moment. And so there is this, this potential that's, that's here. And there is, well, so in Italian, there's a word that's used in painting. And when you look at works by like Leonardo da Vinci, uh, it's, it's a word called pentimenti. And so as we've uncovered these masterpieces, these like oil paintings, what have we found out is at the very base of these paintings? You know? Charcoal sketches. Anybody seen that? So da Vinci didn't just start painting. We've got a, our artist. So what did he, so first he sketched out a drawing. And, and that was where he was going to go. But guess what we figured out as we analyzed what the sketches were versus what the painting ended up being? Guess what? They're different. Right? We see that. that, that and this is called pentimenti. It, in Italian, it means changing your mind. So the artist started with a plan. And yet as he would layer oil paint over oil paint, he would change his mind and the picture would change and it would ultimately end up in what it, you know, is now. And, and that word pentimenti, to change your mind, in our English language, we carry a version of that word over. Does anybody know what that would be? Repent. Repentance. Right? And, and this is what the scriptures always call for. When God is at work, the call is always repent. It's, it's saying that there are these charcoal strokes. There's these things that you've done, these experiences that we have, right, that are there. And yet God's ultimate desire is not to stop with that because God, by his grace, is able to come in and he wants to paint a masterpiece. So this, we saw some, some highlights from Vacation Bible School. So the kids who are here may remember our theme verse. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Ahead of time, right? See this time element? But God desires to paint this masterpiece. He desires to paint a portrait ultimately through your life and through our church that looks like who? Jesus, right? That's it. That's God's purpose. And his desire is to paint this masterpiece, this portrait that looks like Jesus, and yet, there are all these charcoal sketches and things that about us that don't yet look like Christ. Can we acknowledge that? And right now, we have an opportunity to repent. That's what it is. Because the Spirit of God is always at work now. That's the, the, we're not just looking back in the past at these Bible stories. The Spirit of God, God is, God is the God who is with us. He is Emmanuel. And God's at work by his spirit now and he convicts us and he challenges us and he encourages us, but he shows us when we trust in Christ these, these areas of our life that don't look like the masterpiece of Jesus. And, and that conviction 
right, that the Spirit brings our call. And again, just like Abraham, this decision really matters. What we do right now in the present really matters, right, because we have this window of time between Christ's death and resurrection and ascension and his return. That's the time we're in. And we have this opportunity in between those times to repent, to, to acknowledge these, these places and parts of our lives that the Spirit shows us and to, to turn away from ourself, to surrender completely to Christ and to, to who God is calling us to be in him. And this is the opportunity that God gives us. And so as we sit here at this moment, at the beginning of 2023, that's the question I have. And I ask the band to come up as we close this out. As we think about our lives, ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, what is God calling us to repent of? And, and it goes all these ways because when we look at the cross, the shame that we carry would keep us from experiencing what God has from us for us in the present. But in the cross, Jesus took our shame. Do we see that? On the cross, Jesus says, I took your shame. We trust in Christ. We trust in his death to fully pay for all of our sins. That he took our shame. He took our guilt. He take, took all of our penalty. And so we can entrust that to Christ and be set free from that shame that would anchor us in the past, that would keep us from experiencing what God has for us now, today, at this moment. And we also can see how the fears that we have, right? The fears of what if this does happen or what if this doesn't happen? Ultimately, the resurrection frees us from fear. Because what the resurrection says is not even death is the end. Do we see that? And so we are called to be defined as people of hope under all circumstances because we serve the God who raises the dead, who raised Christ from the dead. And that is the invitation that we have to be free, both in the past from the shame that would cloud us and that would, that would hold us back and from the fear that would keep us locked in, in anxiety and fear and worry over what's to come and, and to experience what is it that God is calling us to right now? What is it that God's calling us to die to, right? To take up our cross right now and to surrender to him. And so I wanna just invite us just for a moment to just have a moment of prayer and then we're gonna sing. But there is this opportunity right now in this moment to say, Spirit of God, what is it that you're calling me to repent of? And maybe for you, it's, it's for the first time, you need to truly trust in Christ to surrender your life to him. Or maybe there's something in your life that you know the spirit of God is convicting you of, is calling you to surrender. And so just, just take a moment, just pray. So Father, we thank you that you've given us this time now And that by your grace, you give us this opportunity to surrender. Lord, we thank you that we have the hope of the cross. That Jesus died for our sin and he took our shame and our guilt and paid the penalty for our sin.
so that we can be set free. But thank you for the hope of the resurrection that we know no matter what happens or is happening around us, that we have hope that Christ will return and that death is not the end and that we will be raised to be with him. And so would you give us the clarity because of the death and resurrection of Christ in this moment, just to surrender what it is that you would have us to repent of. Lord, we, we want to be free from that. We want to be these masterpieces that look like Jesus, that you want to paint by your grace. And so Lord, would you, by your spirit, show us what it is you're calling us to surrender and would we do that even now as an expression of faith. And so we ask this in the name and for the glory of Jesus, our King, amen. I'll be in the prayer room. If there's anything you need prayer for or anything you would like to discuss, we'll we'll respond in song. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.